Hey, y'all, it's Noxie. Thanks for listening to the Detailed Solutions Podcast. And now, a little bit more about one of our sponsors. Alex, have you heard about the pain assassins on Facebook? No, Noxie, what's that? I'm glad you asked, you wrinkled little booby. Pain Assassins was started by a dude named Jason Bruno to where detailers can find the camaraderie that they're looking for without any of the negative trolling bullshit like other Facebook groups. Not only that, but they can compete with their work weekly, monthly, or yearly to win prizes. Oh, dude, and they make sick merchandise, so you always have fresh gear to wear. Whoa. <sighs> anyway, y'all want to check it out? Again, it's Pain Assassins on Facebook or Instagram. Check it out. Detail Solutions Podcast. My name is Alex Russell and I am your host. It's What's On Your Mind Wednesday. So as always, Bruno, got you what's here. What's up? How you doing, buddy? What's up, man? Um, you know, just hanging in there. Yeah, man. So we'll go, we'll go over our usual. So we want everybody, please like, subscribe, uh, share the, um, the podcast, please. Um, to your tell all your all your besties um oops, sorry about that um tell all your friends tell your your compadres whoever um let them listen to it tell them about it we need to pump this up um and get it rocking and rolling so um yeah we appreciate that also about our facebook group yeah, the Facebook discussion group, Detail Solutions Podcast discussion group. Um, some people have been leaving some pretty, pretty good comments in there, man. I've really been appreciating that, um, giving us some ideas, or just talking about the, uh, the, um, the podcast, the episodes we've done. That's the perfect place to go and comment, make suggestions, things like that. But please, 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 I can't say please enough. Do not post work asking questions that's for any other detailing podcast out there if you want to ask the question and phrase it in the way of that it could be a topic for the podcast please do that but do not tag a picture um last thing i want is people ripping your picture apart and that's just not what the podcast discussion group is all about um also we got the new logo the new logo mm. is kick-ass. Um, super excited about it. Um, merch is in the works. Um, I'm trying to do some some plain and simple t-shirts. Bruno's throwing, throwing out some crazy ideas to, for me, but I just want to be plain and simple to start it I off I just with. sent you a hoodie, dude. I mean, well, those hoodie, baseball shirts are You sent me baseball shirts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right, so let's do this. Uh 
introduction who do we got first well, hang on we're not there yet man let's 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 Why go not? so so the topic for tonight we're stealing from john Purdue's comment from last week's podcast if anybody saw it uh what do you think the future of the industry will look like in 10 years so bruno we're gonna hop in the delorean we're gonna yeah. set we're gonna set the time circuits Doc to, Bruno uh, to that. If you're gonna you're gonna introduce me right, it's Doc Bruno for this. Okay, one. Doc Bruno. We're gonna <laughs> hop in the DeLorean and we're gonna set the time circuits to 2031, <laughs> and we're gonna meet up with our guests, Dave Fermani, Brian Guy, and John Tadu, <laughs> and we're gonna discuss what detailing will be like in the future. Oh, bro, so, that was epic. Yeah. Could, could if we pick something better than a DeLorean, I feel like that's outdated, you know. I, we could have hopped in the. <laughs> He's trying uh, to keep the Back to the Future theme. Yeah, man. I mean, listen. Maybe like the new Cybertruck. It's the same kind of stainless steel bullshit body. We could have just done a Cybertruck, man. Come on. That's be crazy. You know what? Hey, look, we could have all met up at the Circle K and hopped on the phone booth <laughs> and, you know. They did remake that adventure. movie, so I'm. No big <laughs> argue with Bill and Ted. I'm down for that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so guys welcome welcome to the podcast you guys have all been on many times before i i appreciate you guys coming back on um it's always fun uh when we have you guys on uh thank you alex so so yeah so so john this is this is kind of this is kind of your thing so so you i don't remember exactly how you laid it out to me i know you're talking not specifically in 10 years, but how the change has been from, you know, 10 years ago to now and how it's going to change from now to 10 years. So lay down the, uh, lay down the exact way you phrased it for me. Oh God, if I can remember the exact way, um, I'm just going to wing it again, but, um, no, so my, my original question when you guys were doing the Facebook live was where do you guys see the industry within 10 years? And to me, that's a loaded question in order to understand potentially where this business or industry or this shit will be in, you know, 10 years, you have to look at where it was, you know, we're talking back from like 1999 to maybe like 2010 time, right? Yeah. You have to look at the progression from 2010 um, to current times and understand where the automotive industry is going, the paint finishing industry is going, the protective industry is going, your resources, your tools to really understand where, it could be or where it should be. The reason I asked that question is, you know, you go back to 15 years ago. I, I was the quiet guy that used to lurk on forums and these old like AOA chats. I, I never posted my name, never did anything. I watched a lot of guys back then disappear, whether it's because they didn't progress or they didn't adapt to newer things, basically, right? They, they kind of got left behind the wind. It was a discussion you and I had personally of right. nowadays in this business, if you're not adding paint protection film into your services and a quality one at that, you're eventually going to probably get left behind if you're aiming for the protection part of the market. So I try to push that on people. It's like, you know, educate yourself to understand what your industry is doing, where it's going, so you can progress with it to not be left behind. And I've always been curious what other people think about that. Like, where do you think this industry is going to be? Because the more people speak about this uh, question, the more I think as an industry as a whole, you can start 
working towards that direction collectively, right? Not versus, and I'm going to throw the jabs out there, what the IDA does, right? This is something they should be visiting. This is something they should be doing and working towards. But uh, as a dysfunctional group of Neanderthals, they don't. So, um, you know, so that's why I brought the question up point blank. It, it had a lot to do with what you guys were chatting about on right. that. And I kind of sat there and listened to what everybody was throwing out. And I was like, to me, the general question is, where does this industry go from here? No, I, and I think it's it a question for yeah. everybody before we move on. I have a question for everybody, for John, Brian, and David, because you guys have been in the industry for a real long time. And Alex, you can answer this if you want to as well, because I think I'm the only one in here that has less than 10 years. So when did you see the industry start to change from when you started? You want me to go first? Sure, why not? Whoever wants to go so, first. I started detailing around 2000, 2001, I think it was. Um, I didn't know much about the industry then. I, I, I was very uneducated from that frame to like 2005, I think. So I can't honestly give a perspective there. Um, you know, I, I kind of told you my little backstory of like how I got into detailing. So that really, I don't think it even justify for an opinion. From 2005 to 2010, I started to see the term paint correction come more and more into the play, in my opinion. At least what I saw in the D.C. area. I've seen some other guys come up here. There was, uh, I forgot the guy's name. He used to be in the D.C. area, and then he moved out to Portland, Oregon. Um, he was one of the first guys that I knew about oh. doing paint correction in this area. I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah. Um, he did OptiCoat. Yeah, he did OptiCoat. I forgot his name. He started OptiCoat in 2000. He was still funny. Probably. Um, um oh the can't something the canter um or damn I can't remember either way I don't like the guy he's a big BMW guy yeah. yes yes you are correct on that um so he was like one of the first guys in our area and that's when I kind of progressed in the industry and I used to go on to the Autopia forums that's where I first heard of Dave's name um and a lot of guys I, I watched I didn't come out into I think any public kind of site until I figured out maybe by 2015 how do you use social media, right? I was behind all that. I didn't have social media platforms. I just kind of am one of those people that's very disconnected from the world. Um, but even from that point from 2010 to 2000 or 2015, there was a big shift in the industry. You started seeing different sectors of automotive paint protection, film, tint, kind of merging into this new group. And then from 2015 to 2021, you've seen everything go which way? Paint protection guys getting into detailing, coatings, Detailing guys getting into coatings and paint protection film and this whole merger. Um, so I, I think the big impacts of where I, I saw the shift was when, um, I guess more or less newer machines were being available to people. Let's say go back to like the Porta Cable. Um, you know, that was before 2010, if I remember. I saw some Porta Cables come up online, people using those. Then you had the Flex. Uh, then, you know, Rubis, I think when it dropped into the industry, kind of brought this whole thing. And then the whole push of, let's say, Paul of what he did at Chemical Guys created some car care awareness. You know, as much as people will bash on Chemical Guys, I could care less about them. Um, they aim for a different part of the market, but they helped just like HD did. And I, I know Fermani probably maybe agrees with this or not, but when you push to that consumer base, it, it helped kind of shine some light on what we actually do. Whether if it was quality or not, um, I think that was a big push and a big change in the industry to creating a new, like a market share for people to grab. Um, 
So I think those were the major changes I saw in the industry and progression of it. And I think it's going to make some big shifts probably in the next five, six years um, as manufacturers change things, environmental laws, VOC compliant laws are getting stricter and harsher. Car manufacturers are going to struggle to keep up with that. And it's, it's, I think the dynamic of our whole industry is going to change in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it hopefully will. Um, you definitely need to first dwell and consider how far we've gone. Um, gosh, I remember entering the market back in 1990 and clay was just getting introduced by Automagic. Hey there, podcasters. What if I told you that there was a product out there that would knock out multiple detailing products? Not only is it the ultimate time and money saver, but produces amazing results and is versatile on almost every substrate. It can also be used in your home or commercial businesses. Gen KO is an all-around multi-cleaner capable of removing light to moderate water spots, grease, and grime. It's safe on surfaces including windows, door jams, paint, mat, PPF and vinyl, rubber moldings, plastic trim, and ceramic coated surfaces. My name is Jennifer Turcott, and after 22 years in the detailing industry, I'm so proud to have a product that is helping my fellow detailers around the world and others. I've tested Gen KO for more than two years before the final ready to use product was produced. I'm beyond happy when people reach out and tell me how much the Gen KO helped them and it can help you too. To get your own, you can contact me directly or go to www.igocodingsusa.com, contact your local IGL distributor or installer and pick your bottle up today. And don't forget to share your experience on social media using the hashtag Gen KO Mix. And look at how much that product revolutionized the 90s and 2000s. Um, and, and now, I mean, everybody's deconning a car and you know, going crazy with that kind of stuff. Um, coatings probably were another thing that really took the took the whole market and, and, and amplified the attention of it. Um, are we going to have another product that's going to impact us like that? I, I hope so. I just... I try to think about what it could be and I just, I don't have a clue. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in the protection side of things, the workflow side of things, um, mechanical side of things. I don't, I don't know tools. Um, we've got to, we've got to definitely evolve. <laughs> um, That's think, actually a really good question. I didn't even think about that. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to first, you know, any smart businessman will say, well, where, what are we missing and how do we get there? You know, we're always filling a void for something that's missing and that's how you create a product and, you know, hopefully you do it properly and, and, and you, you sell a great product. Um, you know, that's, that's the million dollar question. It really is. Um, I started in, in the nineties in the high volume part of things. I didn't know anything about paint correction. I mean, we made, we did gloss enhancement. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as paint correction per se, other than, you know, taking out wet sand marks, the body shop left in it. Um, when I first joined Autopia in 2001, holy crap, I sold my business. I, I had a lot of free time on my hands. So I joined a detailing forum and, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, God, these guys are crazy what they're doing with these cars. And it just, it just astonished me with, with the market that I never knew existed. And I, and I, I grasped it and I really excelled in it. Um, 
because I wasn't in that high volume industry anymore. So I've seen how that, you know, ha has changed as well. I mean, the whole forums, I mean, have, have changed, unfortunately. Um, and I guess fortunately in a lot of ways too. Um, so I, I guess it, it's, it's really, it's, it's tough. I thought about this all day today. Like, man, where could we be in 10 years? Um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to say with all the changes that are rapidly coming in the last three years or four years, even five years. I think a lot of the loaded question is going to come also around how much the manufacturers of the vehicles are going to change. Yes. You know, like We've we're seeing, seen that. I, I mean, I think that we're seeing a degrade in paint quality as the years go on or you know what I mean? Like there, I think that the paint quality with a couple manufacturers, many manufacturers, their, their goal is, is to constantly speed up their process. So with that being said, I think that like the change is like, there's going to be a lot of change with that. And well, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of inconsistencies with paints. So it's, uh, it's yeah that's a that's a that's a tough one and i mean i think that you know vehicle manufacturers moving forward they're going to continue to look into new raw materials new paint systems um you know and like these are the things that we're going to have to try to stay ahead of the game on you know i remember a couple of what was it, a couple of several years back you know like the talk of introducing solar panels to the roofs of cars it was you know it was being talked about luckily that hasn't happened yet but, you know, as an example, you know, how do we take care of this? Right. And, and going, going with that, I mean, as far as, you know, where, do the, where does the automotive industry go? You know, is, is there, you know, the way paint, so like Brian, you mentioned the paints are changing. And we've had Kilmer on before and Kilmer's talked about how, you know, with the, the new, um, you know, EPA regulations and things like that on paint, every, you know, paint's gotten more water-based than, than solvent-based and um, the paint's not as good anymore. You know, obviously with all the switch to, you know, EV from, you know, pretty much almost every manufacturer, it seems like in 2025 is doing away with, you know, gas engines and going strict to EVs. Um, are we going to see any kind of push towards, you know, how paint changes even more? Um, I, I think, I mean, David, David said it well too, you know, like where, where can we as auto detailers fit a product or a tool into the void? Right. And that's a really, and that's a really tough question. Um, well, I, you know, I think I it's think a shift into what we actually do and what we're labeled as, right? Because, I look at the term as like, if you go overseas to some businesses, right? But let's put this in perspective, Japan. Brian actually might've heard this before. Um, in Japan, you have, you know, your car wash detailing. And then let's put it in perspective. Uh, reality of truth is they've been in the ceramic coating in automotive finishes for well over 30 years at this point, right? Yeah. They're 20 years plus ahead of us on this, right? You go buy some JDM car from the 80s, they have old ceramic coating stickers on the windshield still or there. Whether the coating exists still or not is another question. But they progressed their cells to where 
the guys that are doing these protective solutions, which it does include your polishing um, and uh, paint protection film coatings, they don't consider themselves detailers necessarily there anymore. It, it's more of, um, you know, they're, they, it's like a protective solution for the automotive right. industry, right? It's different. And that's what's always sparked my mind is like, is this industry going to split before it hits this curve of where it goes to? Because I also think about, well, what's going to be sustainable for your business, right? Um, you know, before the podcast, Dave made that remark about detailing and, you know, reality truth is I haven't touched a damn full car on a polisher in probably four years. Um, <laughs> probably because I suck at it, but, um, you know, I, I've changed my thoughts years ago on what, I want to do with this business and I look at and it's not something appealing to everybody and there's a lot of people that disagree with me but it's preserve and protect as much as possible right right I go back to like the old Octopia days on the forum or even like 10 years ago where everybody was taking purple foam wool or lance wool and just hammering out paint like I call it the good old American way they would just hammer out paint as much as they can to get as many defects as they can and that's that right right fuck your clan it's all yeah, in Japan, it's always been about, well, what can we add on top of the surface, right? So they're using different type of polishes with resins to build something on top of it to go to the theory of preserve and protect. As we know, most Japanese or Korean paints are thin, garbage, soft, and piss poor painted. So I'm assuming most of those people there look at it from that aspect of, well, what can we do to protect it? Um, Tony Kiger made a comment. I know is between him and Fermani on some post a couple weeks ago and where it was like preserve and protect the car, right? Uh, yes, it's great to put PPF on everything if you could and if the average American could afford it, but they can't. So that's where the coating comes into as a, I'd say a minor substitute in right. what it can actually offer. It, it's nowhere going to be as superior as what any paint protection film can do. But I look at it as, as our industry going to progress and should it progress into that direction of away from this whole detailing of what we're used to for the last 15 years like paint correction things like that i think it'll always exist but i'm looking at it from the focus of what stability you can create for income livelihood for people and a future and i think no matter what car manufacturers do touching base on what brian was mentioning about like well what are you know car manufacturers going to do with paint they're going to get worse i think utilizing those two resources is where the industry needs to kind of advance into right going into paint corrections um i look at like before a coating application the only reason i'm going to polish a car if a customer doesn't understand defects is to prepare the surface for the coating not in the fact of glorifying it because i love cars of like it has to be perfect well, first off, it's mechanical decontamination for the paint for me. So machine polish to clean it to apply a coating. So the customer gets what he needs justifiably and the coating is on a proper surface. Right. That I think is going to be a big change in the industry, honestly, in my opinion, in the next couple of years alone and how paint corrections and coating applications, I think, should move forward. You know, instead of this, everything has to be so perfect no rids, no defects, none of this stuff. It's, you're going to run out of options soon. And I don't think if business owners are looking at that, it's going to cause 
people and consumers to kick back and not want to spend $2,500 on a coating and polish application, right. you know? And well, they don't want to have their car gone for two to three days sometimes, right? Right. It's, uh, yeah. it's getting harder and harder to deal with those things, right? You know, I look at it from my point of view. I, I would never want my car at a shop for five days. I'm pissed off my Mercedes been sitting at a shop for a week over a fucking valve cover, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's so. kind of goes back to, to you know, Fermani when we had that, that talk about your high volume coding deals, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of kind of talk in the industry now, or not a lot, but it's starting to come up of, you know, why can't we do those wash clay and coat jobs for 300 bucks? You know, client, client wants clean and shiny. They don't give, they don't care if there's swirls in it. They don't care if there's rids in it. They don't care if it's whatever. Um, a majority of clients just want, clean and shiny that's why they go through the car wash because they want clean and shiny you know so do you think do you think social media had a huge impact on how the industry changed it still does i yeah. think it absolutely still does because you know let's put it this way a lot of people hate me because they think i'm an asshole whatever it is i speak my mind i have no remorse in it um but at the same point is Amen. what i hate is i hate egos i fucking hate egos and the way I talk to like, you know, Modessa guys coming into uh, our network or as we add them in is I ask them a point blank question, right? I don't seek people to do perfect corrections, right? Modessa holds itself to a higher standard, in my opinion, than most brands, whatever, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't want my Modessa guys to fail. I do require polishing done before simply for the fact of what I said earlier, it's a mechanical decontamination of the paint. After that, the next important process is prepping it. But at the end of the day, I think most people would agree, like, you can multi-step a car or you can single-step it. Uh, as long as the paint's finished and, you know, you're cleaning it up, it, it's fine. It's like whether you charge and you're just doing a gloss enhancement, you know, to remove light stuff, some newer paints, you know, a, a light gloss enhancement will rip through 90% of it anyways, is – I guess, you know, 10 years ago, people would come to you and be like, I want a paint correction, right? Nowadays, that's not what people are knocking on your doors. They're inquiring about paint and your coding options. It's changed already in what customers are searching for. So if you're going to sit there and be like, well, I have to have the paint perfect. It's going to cost $1,500 to correct it. You might drive out 90% of your business. And at the end of the day, it's your ego that's getting in the way where, you know, that guy, the, the, and no offense to him if he's listening to this, when he made that comment about removing this defect, I can't let that go. To me, that right there is if you sold that customer one step and you decide to chase that, that's your own ego getting in the way and the profitability of your business, the livelihood of your employees. And I think it's stupid. If the customer didn't pay for it and didn't want it, don't do it. Right. You know, and, and I think this industry, it's it goes into, like I said, this, this question goes into everything and I'll probably bitch the whole time to be honest, but it goes into, <laughs> it goes into the whole problem where it's like, there's no fucking standardization of how to do these things. And everybody's just winging it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that have the same opinion. And I think for the industry to progress in a good direction to be reputable too, it, it has to, change and it has to have right. guidance in the right way but and well, not in the way that it's currently happening right one of the things that i think should be done more is kind of like what we're doing right now right i mean we have three guys in the industry who are leaders been around it done it whatever saying 
you don't have to go heavy. I mean, we've had Kilmer on saying you don't have to go heavy. We've had all <laughs> these things. And, and I think that's where the narrative kind of needs to go, right? Because, you know, prime example, I'm watching because he was referred, referred to me to try to get on the podcast. So I'm watching a Jim White video last night and I'm sitting there going, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to hit it like this. And then I'm like sitting there going, I don't have clients that are going to pay for that or care about that or want that. And that's, that's where I think this is this, hopefully us doing something like this, Marty and Nick on the pints and polishing podcast, kind of having the same narrative. We all need to start saying it, saying it out loud because you have those new people coming into detailing that don't know any better. So the first thing they do is go to YouTube and who's going to come up, you know, Jim, the Jim Jim whites of the the, world. The guys that glorify, and I'll say one name and I'm sure if you guys will chime into it, he was probably one of the worst toxic people in the industry. This is going to come back at me tenfold was Paul Dalton. He was the worst toxic person in this industry with an ego that was more far driven than I've seen in the last 20 years. And it's, you know, what he did had some positive impacts in helping us all establish our name in some rights. You know, right. I'm not going to take that away from certain people. But the problem is the over-glorification, right? It, it went on to a point of like, it's what I see most detailers doing these days. They all show these glamour reel videos of them polishing a car, coating the car, laying film on it. Why don't you make like an infomercial? You know, you're appealing to people like us. Yeah. None of us give a shit to watch your videos. Right. Make a video that's appealing to your customers, that's informational to your customers to educate them on the products or the services you do. That's the problem is everybody's so, it's like being back in high school where everybody's so worried about if you're in this click or that click. Right. Or right. we're just trying, we're just like, trying to impress know, other, impress other detailers. And that's the last people we need to try and impress. Yeah. Um, let me chime in here. They don't focus. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. So off of uh, what like Alex was just saying, so uh, I think there's a difference between like being lazy and not doing all you can with a paint correction, even though there's like different stages or whatever have you. You know, I have my own personal opinion about paint enhancement versus paint correction and the terminology on those two words or whatever. But I'm saying like if if you can do all you can up to your skill set on a pink correction then just leave it alone don't just like john purdue said don't let your ego take over and keep chasing all these things if your skill set uh is just polishing then and you can get all the defects you can out within like two or three steps great don't try to bust out sandpaper if you don't know how to do it and if you can get all you can out with a one step and that's what the customer paid for don't go chasing for more yeah yeah I think, too, is, uh, you know, anytime I get the chance to speak with uh, a new guy or somebody who's just getting started in the industry, I've I've started asking them the question, like, where do you want to be in a couple years? You know, because uh, there's several variations of clients, you know, and depending on what type of niche you want to be in there is a client and there is a suitable audience that's available based on whatever skill set or based on, you know, wherever your detailing makes you happy. And uh, so like I've gotten over the last couple of years, I've, you know, if I get the opportunity, I ask somebody, you know, well, where do you want to be? 
in a couple years because it's really easy for us to get caught up with codings, pain corrections, films, and blah, blah, blah. It's all, you know, it's a, but the hardest thing that we need to consistently try to do is, is to understand the customer, you know, Um, you know, to the point of not, you know, pulling a scratch out of a car is if, if, if it means something to the customer, is it, is it, is it, is it, losing or main or losing integrity or gaining integrity to the car. These are, these are variables that we have to handle like professionals, you know, and uh, there's, you know, there's a, I've, I've been, I've been laughed at before in the past because I might spend an hour shining a single tire, you know, where, you know, and uh, granted, you know, I might also have a customer who's willing to pay for that versus me going full tilt on their panel for three hours, you know, um, you know, like we have to understand the customer really, really well. And so like, I've always been, and I've, I've lately been in the practice of just asking people, where do you want to be in a couple of years? You know, because if, you know, like if, like if you're a hot rod guy and you like hot rods work in that direction, you know, like, like social media, it's so easy for us to get hung up on the terms and we chase the terms and we and we play follow the leader, you know, um, I'm, I'm probably yeah. guilty of it myself in the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I think that as, as time has gone on, you know, like you more so want to find out what type of clientele base, you know, best suits you because cars are cars are just like the labels on them. There's a there, there there's one for everybody, right. you know, um, you know, and it's a. Uh, I think that that's that's more harder to figure out how to deal with customers. Like my first several, several years into auto detailing business was volume based. And because it was very much volume based, it was because I would I'm getting to talk with 10, 15, 20 people a day. And this definitely helped me, you know, communicate with a uh, with more customers, you know. Fast forward the clock and as years went on, you know, I started detailing a car. It took me one week and now I'm only seeing one face a week, you know. Um, So like basically the more opportunities that we get to be in front of people and to find out what it is that their pet peeves or their, you know, like what it is that, that, that like they're seeing. Now, that's where the value is at. You know what I mean? Like if we place too much value on the terms we lose the value in our, in our own skill set, you know, because we are cleaners. We, we, we just clean stuff, you know, Um, you know, it's the simplest way I can put it, you know, like we clean stuff, like how, like, where do we balance the clean in? How far do you want me to clean? How, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is a much harder question and this is all going to be very dependent on the customer. You know, it's like, if you have somebody who's a, got allergies do you go spraying for you know perfumes in their car you know like you don't you know so like and and if when if we just kind of go off of our gut and say yeah you know what i mean like you know but then we didn't know when the customer drove away that they had an allergy attack and that you know that the next three days of their life was hell and we thought we did a superman job you know um you know so like keeping up with keeping up with the keeping up with the clients I think is 
is a much harder task to do nowadays because again, social media has caused, in my opinion, an uproar in us getting hung up on terms. Amazon Oh, thank you. Oh, I got some Amazon Prime. I think it touches base on the whole problem of your egos, right? It's if most people that listen to this and anybody sitting here in this podcast with us, we're all business owners, right? So what's the first thing you have to do as a business owner when you have a client? You're not there to polish your car. You're not doing that. You're talking to a customer. You're creating the solution for them. So yeah, in business, to go back to what Brian was saying, to me, it's a grand scheme of just you're creating a solution for that client's individual needs, right? Exactly. Whether it be these in-depth paint corrections, putting tire shine on to where that tire is perfect, right? Um, hats off to you for doing that. I would have fucking lost my shit doing that. Can't do it, man. Nope. I, I have fidgety hands. I'm playing with stuff as we're sitting here, but um, I, I couldn't focus on that anymore that long. But it, it's it's going to, you know, creating solutions for things. And that's part of where I look at this industry and a current like issue with it is I, I go back to like there's been so many new detailing groups in the last couple of years, right? And a lot of them I just chose to get out of because I just saw they were just garbage, toxic, full of idiots, and a lot of misguidance. Um, you know, nobody was ever asking the right questions, you know. And then finally there were some smaller groups that kind of spawned out in the last few years. And then, you know, one of them was somebody I would say is pretty reputable in this question. He asked a question about taxes and businesses. And I'm just like, you've been in business for how long and you didn't know this? You know, it was a pretty petty thing. And that's where I look at it, it's like, this industry has no guidance. So it's like, yes, okay, whether if you do a big $2,000 correction, part of teaching people is giving them the options, right? So when you teach people, you give them different options, you know, they're going to hone their skills in one direction or that direction or both, right? They're going to be great at all things. I don't think that's going to change where the industry goes, because like, for instance, with any of us sitting on here, if we decide to go to a volume based shop or anything, we have the resources, the skills to progress what direction we need to go. What we lack is in the industry in a whole is the education part, right? And I think it's so blinded right now where everything's more focused still on this glorification of polishing paint, things like this. And is your car detailing website crashing and burning? Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You're putting the pedal to the metal, but not seeing the leads you want? Bingo. Keep your detailing website out of the danger zone. Yes, sir. Detailers Roadmap is the premier web service for detailers. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? We build punchy marketing campaigns and cost-efficient websites for detailers designed to get you leads and generate traffic. Custom-built websites start at just $99 a month. I feel the need, the need for speed. And unlike other developers, we only work with one industry, yours. Stay out of the danger zone. And cruise on over to DetailersRoadmap.com and see how we can push your leads into overdrive. Talk to me, Goose. That's DetailersRoadmap.com. DetailersRoadmap.com. I get what Brian's saying 100%, and I agree with him. Um, you know, if I had the patience to do shit like that, I would still do it. But, like, I think either end you're on, you're going to run into problems. Um, because, you know, there are guys like Brian knows very well, Anthony Federico, 
He focuses on a very high-end boutique client base. It's like the 1% guys out of New York City. Um, that's what his clientele base is. They want that paint to be perfect. They want the cars all fully wrapped afterwards, and then they want them coated. Um, you know, not everybody has that demographic, things like that. Um, there's always going to be a need for those people, too. The, you know, the guys we all used to detail cars for 10 to 15 years ago that came to us for paint corrections, they're still advocates into that type of car care. Um, but the way we have to explain it to them nowadays, if they get newer cars, might be different from what they had 15, 20 years ago. Um, but I do believe that in a stable sense of business, moving to the preservation of paint and protection of paint is going to be a key into growing this industry right? to make it more profitable. Because, uh, you know, maybe Brian and Dave both have heard this term before. I remember probably 15, 20 years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, somebody made a comment to me joking around like, oh, you guys are the guys that wash Bentleys but drive Civics versus the guys that own tunnel car washes were the guys that wash Civics and drove Bentleys, right? The industry's changed. Like, I, I never fathomed even from 10 years ago, we could charge what we charge now. We can grow what we need to, right? Everybody's been able to prove it. I've seen some incredible shops pop up in the last five to six years, talking with a few close friends and colleagues I have, the numbers they've been able to generate, seeing what we do in our business now, I, I never dreamt of that. And the problem is there's no guidance behind it. And I think it's time for the industry, regardless of what type of quality work you do, as long as it's acceptable and good, honest practice, for something to start actually guiding this industry the right way. And this is where I am going to touch base on, Alex, what you know I always tend to crack on. Um, the backbone of this industry, right? Uh, you know, four or five guys sitting in IHOP eight years ago doesn't justify to the backbone of this industry. You know, um, the IDA to me offers nothing. There's no business counseling. There's no teaching of these things, right? There are some detailers I know or detailed business owners I know that have business coaches. I've had them. Uh, and we seek and we look at the automotive repair industry for help, but it's so different we're still in our premises and I think it's, I think the progress in the next four or five years has to be somehow one hand or another, the guys that have common sense, in my opinion, to start helping this industry kind of have an actual mold to it. Right. Because right. there is no a standardization yeah. to it. I'm never going to be the guy for it. I'm kind of the idiot that just talks trash. But I know there's a lot of talented people in this industry, and I think that's something that has to happen. I will point blank say it here, and if anybody wants to send me a message and talk trash about it, because uh, I'll say it again, the IDA is not the answer. It never has been. It never will be. Brian Guy and I have chatted because I, you were with me that one year, Brian, where we actually grabbed dinner, and I, I kind of just ran my mouth. It was like four or five years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you're a good friend. I always take care of my friends. Um, but – um. It was just like, I, 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 this industry, I feel like is at a weird tipping point, right? So like the guys like us who started polishing, who got into paint protection, film coating, there's a whole nother couple industries that are knocking at our back door right now, right? The guys that were in the tint business, right? Which I will PDR. say, honestly, in my opinion, yeah, the, the paint, the tint industry, I think was, is one of the shittiest businesses I've ever seen. And some of the shittiest people behind it. Now there are some reputable guys out there, but I look at them all like they're meth heads. 
right? That's at least in my area. Everybody that did tint, I'm like, you had to do a lot of drugs to do this. But those guys are knocking on our back door right now. Well, guess what? They have light years ahead of us. They had businesses, brick and mortar businesses, far more than what most detailers had, at least into this high end tier or this part of what we do in the industry. And that's why I think the industry or the detailing, paint protection, whatever you want to call this, has to get this figured out because there's a lot of people knocking on the door to take shit away from us. Exactly. And they're going to, right? Um, right. You know, you, you look at what Expel tried to do years ago, opening up Expel locations, trying to acquire people's businesses. There are other companies doing that because they see the vulnerability. They know how to manipulate a business owner and says, hey, we'll give you $150,000 buyout. Oh, but guess what? You have to work for us and you're a slave for us for the next 10 years running your business on a shitty salary. Yeah, I've seen people fall victim to that, right? And there's nobody in their business to teach these guys these things. And I think that's part of what a, you know, like I said, I refer to this industry as whatever the hell you want to call it. There's no guidance in it, whether yeah. it's, you know, validating your skills, improving your skills, teaching the safe practices of what can and can't happen. You know, it, it's, I see a lot of guys that are really good at this stuff, but nobody's going to the plate yet. Nobody. Right. So I've got a, I've got a couple of topics I want to, I want to throw out there and see what you guys, how you guys feel about it, you know, especially as we're 10 years into the future. Um, so one of the things is, is what you were just talking about, John, with, with the, like the window tent and the PDF and, and even getting into, I mean, the PPF and getting into the PDR, things like that. Um, these are all things that realistically detailers could definitely do. Right. Or, or at least you hire somebody on, you put it in your shop, you make your shop all in one. And, and I've seen it with some, some shots, uh, some shops. Um, uh, my cousin, Brian Churchill um, out in uh, Washington with uh, polished image detailing. I mean, they'll, they do, they're doing everything. I mean, they're doing bolt on modifications. They're doing wheel paint repair, caliper paint. Um, there's a shop here in town that's now starting to get into doing uh, stereo modifications along with doing um, PPF and window tent and, and bolt on stuff. Do you guys see the, the industry going where more detailers start taking on these things or does our, I don't, I don't, I don't consider that detailing anymore personally. Right. But it's not, but I mean, you know, going back to being a smart business owner, do you bring these things on that could potentially add another 50 to hundred thousand dollars a year to your business? And for each one you do, you just upped your business so much, or do you keep your detailer ego and just say, no, I'm only going to detail cars. Right. You, like, you want an answer from somebody that's done all this already? Yes, you do it. Right. Because I, I look at it as the aspect is we have employees and I have their well-being and their livelihood to care about. So I add these services in. I hire guys. I train guys. We have a tent guy. We do Exo Shield because customers these days look, you know, we're talking about the mass general. We're not going right. to talk about the guy that, you know, once is, you know, he has his, you know, what Brian guy and Dave typically I see posts online or in right. groups about working on some high-end cars. We still do that crap too, but a lot of our customers, I live in DC. It's a fast paced life here. You know, a, a customer doesn't give a shit if you're the best or not. They want their car done. They want to take it to one place. They want the convenience factor. 
because they're working for the government. They're going to be fired in two years anyway. So they live like this. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry. It's true. Like literally, like, I don't know of any. Okay. Well, okay, well convenience. Years. I mean, like convenience is definitely king nowadays, isn't yeah. it? I hate having to get out of my car to go somewhere. I'd much rather just go to a drive through because it's convenience. I have no oh, idea. I've gotten worse for it in my Amazon. I live off a of DoorDash now. <laughs> but like, like I said, detailing, but that's where like my part of my progress is like detailing is detailing, right? Um, I, I think it's such a loose definition, right? I, I right. think, for instance, but, okay. So maybe do you start? Ex, maybe do you start expanding, right? Like you, maybe now you stop calling yourself a detail shop or a detail spa or whatever. And now I, you I, just... I've been looking for a way to rebrand for years right. to get rid of the name. I, I want to drop the name detailing because I get so many of the calls of right when people, when consumers, not us, you have to remove us. When consumers look at online Google and say, oh, shit, my kid threw up in the car, spilt milk. Right. Who are they going to, you know, they're going to look for businesses that say spa and detailing, right? Yeah. Yes. Even though we do paint correction and in our own eyes of what we grew up in, we do detailing because we're perfecting paint, polishing paint, whatever you want to call it. But the consumer doesn't see that. The average consumer doesn't do that. I don't want to waste hours out of my day answering some stupid phone call of some customers right. like oh, i want some vomit cleaned out of my car right well i we did the best thing in our business like i told you when covid hit hey guess what we don't have to do anymore oh we're not doing your fucking interior because everybody yeah. in dc is so scared of covid cool, right. we're not touching interiors anymore and it's holding strong for two years i literally haven't touched a vacuum cleaner in god knows how long but <laughs> you know besides that end um i had to look at it as an opportunity right now to do something that I can increase profitability, productivity of the shop. And, you know, nowadays what we all know, it's hiring people is impossible. I, I can't even bring somebody in the DC area in at 20 to $25 an hour without them bitching and crying. They're not making enough money, right? Wow. Our minimum wage is still like eight or $9. But if I don't pay somebody $15, like, well, I can go somewhere else and make more money now. And it's like, okay. You know, but yes, adding these services in, I think tint is important, right? Because, you know, let, let's go into protecting some of these shittier new leathers and cars. Having a good, actual, like high quality ceramic tint can help with some of the interior issues that we've all had to fix, repair throughout the years. Right. So it's a protective solution that, you know, in that aspect of detailing, you can look at prevent some things, preserve and protect, right? Right. Um, you know, windshields adding exo shield uh we get some rare cars in now that don't have uh oem replacement glass anymore yeah. right so putting exo shield on it preserves and protects that and creates a solution for the customer it's the same thing as paint protection film but also i i do see a lot of detailers moving into paint protection film in the last four or five years right and i will say some of the best guys at it now are detailers now there are still some that i think are horrible at it but that's in every industry and in every business um but guys are already progressing into it right we did it with the coatings we're doing it with the film we're doing it with the tints you saw it with some guys which i'll never do it with vinyl um but they're looking at every possible solution because at the end of the day you have to survive you have to create income like i mentioned in the last podcast i love doing this stuff i still love polishing cars yes i actually polished my car that i bought last week in my garage at home that granted i did it for sweet. an hour 
and I gave up after an hour because I said this sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually spent an hour, which is good. I only got like three panels done. Um, but uh, have just done the hood. Walked away. Yeah. <laughs> there was too many hood scoops and things to get out of the way, so I just went for the big flat roof. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. It was easy, you know. Um, but detailing, I think, is like, you know, I think the definition is so broad, right? It, it's in every aspect, it's different. I think detailing plays into PPF now because guys like us who have a better eye for things, we can look at it. And I'll, I'll look at Fermani's post from a couple weeks ago talking about a PPF job he's had on a car come through, or maybe it was in a group. Detailers have a better eye for tension on PPF, for moisture pockets, cut marks, things like this progressively i think we belong in that industry and that's a progression i'm kind of like leaning towards is right we have a far better eye right think about the guys at ferrari when they hand paint a car and they sand it and cut it right so we had a uh, 488 piece of pelodi from one of our clients come in ferrari signed off on the car it was perfect had three burn through strike throughs on the corners one by the rear um brake duct Probably had trails all over the place. That that, that I look at as standard, right? But there were strikethroughs on the paint. You know, everything is hand-painted on that damn car and poorly at that. But, um, you know, the guys that are Ferrari, who Ferrari, you know, is supposed to be this elevated, you know, A-list, very selective. Their paint guys and their detailers can't even figure out. But you look at the guys in our industry that are well-trained, they catch these things easily, right? Um, So that gives us a better ability into these other industries, right? right? And that's why I said, we have to watch out because look at how many tent shops, you know, whether you're in Michigan, Orlando, Tampa, how many tent shops are offering ceramic coatings now? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a big one here. There's a big one here in, um, (laughs) I mean, it's not in Orlando, but it's, you know, kind of like in the outskirts, like I am. Brian, you probably know Tent World. Um, (laughs) Pizza, (laughs) pizza, pizza. everywhere. Pizza, yeah, I mean, at their franchise, um, the guy who owns this one, I mean, he's a pretty decent guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's doing it all. He's doing corrections. He's doing coatings, and 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 he's not. I mean, he does it in house. But what he does is he works. He he subs it out. He works with one or two detailers, and he just calls them up and says, "Hey, I've got this car. It needs to be done. Can you come and do it?" And they'll I come. believe he's driving a Viper too. Yeah, he's got, I think he's got two Vipers and a Ferrari. So, I mean, obviously, Tent is doing very well for him, but he's doing, but he does PPF too. He's gotten into to vinyl. He's, he's doing, you know, he's doing everything. And that's where it goes. And I think, John, you're right. Like detailing, we should be doing PPF or working towards it or learning it or things like that. Um, I mean, that's what I did you know, last year and I've been working on this year and it's, it's frustrating as all hell. And, Sometimes I don't have the the time to to work on it to be good, but you know when people call or look for PPF, they're usually looking for a detail shop. They're not looking for a PPF guy or whatever. They're trying to find that detail shop that's you know going to do kind of whatever. Um, the other thing I wanted to 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 throw out there because um, Fermani asked me if he could throw this question up on a. Uh, on DTF today. And I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And, it, and I'm glad he kind of did. Cause so one of the things that um, one of the guys mentioned on there is, you know, how, how much more interested are clients going to be in protecting their cars with the 
increase every year in, in car prices now, right? So, I mean, in 10 years, let's face it, a Mustang's not going to be $30,000 anymore. It's probably going to be... It's not even $30,000 now. Explorers or expeditions were like <clears throat> fucking 30 to 40 grand. Now they're yeah. like almost or up to a hundred thousand. Right. Well, I mean, look at the, that was, the Bron- that's the, a good question because right, I wanted the Bronco, to ask too. The Bronco's if, like yeah, 70 grand. So as the vehicles get more expensive, are people going to be willing to to pay more to have them done? I think yes. Yeah. And I think you I have think to, so too. Absolutely. Because so you have to look at inflation, you have to look at uh, exchange rates to take an effect to all this. But let's go back to an era you're very familiar with probably here, Alex. Uh, 2000, remember sports compact car, best bang for the buck cars for under $20,000. That was 20 years ago, 15 years yeah. ago. Look at every one of those cars now, it's thirty to $40,000. Oh, yeah. How many cars have I, I, I've had golf bars come into our shop, of, you know, sub $40,000 car, brand new three years ago. They're doing full body paint protection film at like eight to nine thousand dollars plus coating all this crap. They're spending over a quarter of the value on their car protecting it. And I think what people have to remember is right now, when you work on rare cars, certain cars, you can look at it as a depreciating asset, right? right? But the big thing most people forget is the average American, a car purchase is the second biggest purchase they'll ever make in their life. You're not protect like people used to say, protect your investment. Fucking shut up. You're stupid. You know. But protect, it's no different than a house. Houses can lose money too, but you have to fix things in your house. You have to do things in your things. Cars have to be treated the same way that you do with your house or how you care for your car mechanically. And that's the missing link is it doesn't matter how much cars go up in value, how much money somebody makes. It's building a solution for them. It's, I I think as they go up, the demand is going to go up higher, to be honest. So let me, let me throw this out at you. Cause, cause hang on, Bruno, let me throw this out at you. So a buddy of mine who's way smarter than I am and knows more about economic economy and things like that told me a couple of years ago that if you notice they're building more apartment complexes now than homes, because the millennials are, and, and you see it, you see it on social media, you see it everywhere. Millennials do not want to plant roots like the Gen Xers and the baby boomers and things like that. They want to be able to be somewhere for a couple of years. They're also working for companies that could change in a heartbeat. John, like you said, you know, work for two years and you're out and now you're somewhere else. So with, with millennials, they're doing more apartment leases. They're leasing cars. So now with that happening and people aren't, they don't care because they're just going to turn it in in two or three years. Are we still going to see them wanting to spend that money? Or, you know, is it slowly as the, the millennials and whatever generation is going to be next kind of goes that route and we're losing the Gen X and the baby boomers who hold on the cars for a million years you know are we going to start seeing that where people just don't care they don't care about ceramic coating their car because they're going to turn it in two years they don't care about putting ppf on it because whatever i'm going to turn it in two years and get a brand new one for me i don't think that's going to change it right that that's already a problem in our society these days right so you have to look at like but it's, it's not as in- big as 10 years from now like we're like we're talking 
Okay, but you'd have to dive, and I won't dive into it, but you'd have to dive right. into the po- political side of things with people yeah. and their opinions and how they go with those things. But, um, you know, even like people that lease cars, they still want to protect them. They care for them, right? It's going back to identifying the solution what your client needs. If my client's like, yeah, I'm leasing my car, but I want it to be easy to care for. Somebody still leases a brand new $100,000 Land Rover or BMW. They don't want it to be beaten up in two to three to four years because guess what when they turn into the lease they get dinged on it they get hammered you know people still put paint protection film on lease cars these days it happens for week quite often actually i would say probably like every you know one out of four car that we get is a lease car that i know of and how many clients do you know get rid of cars every two to three years or less right man i got a I don't think that, that gets rid of a car every couple of months it seems like lately yeah <laughs> audi yeah. audi offers him a buyback program and he just swaps it for something and drives it for yeah. a thousand miles and swaps it out and <laughs> i have a, i have a handful of guys who i they they basically call me before they do anything car related and uh dude my advice to them because i'm basically there with the purchase is like and i might be rubbing against the grain or might catch some slack for it but i actually tell them don't worry about it don't worry about the film don't worry about the you know what i mean as i i've been in the dealership environment now for a couple years and one thing i can tell you is is that the dealers don't care they will take your car back you know if you have a Mercedes GT or a Porsche Cayenne and it's got and it's got some road rash on the front of it, this is no decreased value. There's there's they they see the car for what it is. They're going to take it from you as long as it's in good running order and they don't have to buy a new transmission or something like that. Then they're happy. Detailers, you want the wow. Right. When that customer comes outside, they're looking at the car and they go, wow. What did you use on my ride? It looks amazing. (laughs) You want that, but it's so hard to fight through all the marketing crap in the market today. You got companies that are hitting cars or lighting them on fire. Others come out with sprays and they go, ooh, look, it fizzles. (laughs) So listen to what Alex says and therefore go check out HyperClean. The hot new snow foam that HyperClean has we have put out the highest lubricity soap on the market so that it will create less marring for you and more opportunities for wow. Follow it up with HyperClean Slick, which is the perfect silica spray creating a streak-free wow. All right, now go save 15% with the code DETAIL15. Do it today and get more wows with hyperclean uh, i'll actually interject on that because i've had it with my clients and me personally when i got rid of uh that hyundai four-door i had i actually got another fourteen hundred dollars because i had a front end clear bra on it yeah i think i mean yes it, it, it like I said, it's a contradictive question yeah. you know you it might definitely get, I, depends I think... on, it definitely depends on the car that's being purchased you know oh, absolutely and, yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think Brian's kind of right. I mean, you you you're adding value to it so they might give you more money, but yeah. if it's dinged up, they're not really hitting you for a lot of money. Yeah, if you take a car and, 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 like, 
But yeah, Nick Bryan like, and what he has right there is he's being honest. And, yeah. and that's what it is though, right? It's what I'm saying on my end is if a client wants it because you have that client that's OCD, right? That yeah, doesn't yeah. want to see rock chip. That's, that's where it's justified that's, to sell them on the lease. Right. right. But in, in Brian's, you know, honesty right there, you know, he shouldn't catch any flack for that because that's a perfect statement. He knows those clients probably better than anybody else. Yeah. Because so he can tell that. him, hey, don't, yeah, don't do that. And that's, but that's yeah. what it is, is right there. That's the honesty, right? It, yeah. It's not about sell, sell, sell. It's doing it the right way. It's identifying the solution because guess what? That client's going to be stoked that you didn't take his money that day. Yeah. It's what everybody yeah. sees. He will come back and spend money tenfold on something else. I, I used to work, I used to work for some small time dealers, you know, and, and, and basically, you know, like these guys would pick up cars at auctions and basically try to flip them, you know, and like we had a deal, we had a deal in regards to the detailing is, is like, don't let the detail in top 500 bucks, you know, and like I called those customers, my bread and butter customers, because right. I can go over there and do the cars quickly, you know, um, because, you know, they're already buying a car as an investment sake. So like if they have to do some mods or if they have to call a PDR guy out and some things that are more prominent and more relevant on the car than to have, you know, just something that's shiny and looks pretty, um, you know, and then so, so, so basically the idea is, is to help these guys purchase a car and resell it at a game, you know, it's uh, that's, 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 for myself, like I said, like that's that's the customer that I try to deal with. I try to deal with somebody who's looking at the vehicle because I, I used to fall in love with cars. You know, I, I used to I used to fall in love with cars to the point where, you know, if a customer sold it, I would get upset about it. You know, and it took me a while to realize that that uh, that that, you know, a car is just a car. Like, I don't yeah. care what it is. I don't care how much it costs. I don't care what the logo is on it you know at the end of the day it's a it's a it's a dollar sign you know and um and uh you know it's that's that's where that's where you know trying to just understand the customer i guess like i said i'm always going back to understanding the customer but i have i I can only go off of my own experiences and like with the people that i deal with and uh as long as we understand the customer then we know where to place them you know, it's, we play a very hard, I know if I was to open up a shop right now, um, you know, as I, as I was speaking to Alex a couple of days ago, you know, about how I've kind of fell behind the curve a couple of years ago. And, uh, and if I was to open up a shop right now, I would have to fight tooth and nails to keep the doors open, you know, in such a competitive market, you know, when everybody else is, you know, doing the same thing, how do you go into a competitive market and, you know, try to beat out the guy down the street? You know, I, it's, it's like, in, in, you know, and also to the point where like the social media and things like that, you know, I have, you know, I can see a kid who can, who can, who can audio and edit the crap out of a TikTok video. And I, I, I don't know, you know, right. and he, and like, he looks like a rock star. He, he looks like a rock star and I look like, I don't know what I'm talking about because, yeah. you know, um, well, let's, by the way, does anybody here have a TikTok? Does anybody? I, I no. do, but I don't do anything <laughs> on it. Okay, because I, 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 I was so going to make a comment, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep Bruno out of this one then. So the rest of us, if you don't, 
Let's make a promise right now that none of us will degrade ourselves to that level. <laughs> oh no, dude! You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta get one, man. You gotta get one. The the, the funniest no, people in the world are on there. It's hilarious. The best, the best little. I got life. enough entertainment in my life. I don't need to yeah. talk <laughs> The best well, little like, three minutes. No, but no, okay, so. Like, Marketing is a marketing is a tough competitive role right. these days. Right. And and something that, that Brian you mentioned I wanna I wanna talk on too, because this was kind of one of the other things I think that uh somebody had commented in, on Dave's Dave's thing is is you know where you're talking about how competitive it is right now. And it and that's one of the things that I think I've noticed in in actually happy anniversary today to me. Uh, today, I forgot to say that at the beginning of the show. Uh, today is my six-year anniversary from getting fired from the car wash. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. I messaged my boss. I was like, my, my old boss, I was like, happy anniversary. And he's like, oh, I do yeah. It. He's like, oh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, but no, but, you know, even I've noticed, okay? I mean, so, like, I've come into the business. I've seen other people come into this industry. So, so again, you know, looking 10 years down the line, how flooded this market could potentially be and and the way that people are driving i mean for Monty, you said it we're racing to the bottom right and pricing um in 10 years with 10 years of growth and that many more people in the industry you know are we basically doing all this stuff for you know do we just become the car wash, you know, the, the $40 wax, you know, except now we're doing ceramic coatings for hundred dollars or something like that. I don't think it will. I, I don't think as long as you have guys with integrity that appreciate what they do, understand the value of a dollar in their business. I don't think it will be, a, th there is a rat race to the bottom and it's horrible, but I, I think there is still a lot of good business owners, detailers, whatever you want to call them that are charging justified prices. And I think they're going to be able to hold it through for the next 10 years because the guys that are rat racing it to the bottom, go look at the last couple of years, the last series of them that was around, how many of them are still here? None of them. Yeah. They're not the last. Yeah. None of them do. They, they don't understand. And it's no offense to guys that do that primarily did mobile work for so long. Right. But we're not talking about the guys that do high quality work, but the vast majority of mobile detailers, they don't understand the expenses that you have with the business, the overheads, your payroll taxes. Most people forget about these things. So when they start dealing with the growing pains and they're not charging enough, you can't jump from a fucking $200 service to $2,000. You, you have a totally different business. But you look at the guys that we all know and maybe that we respect or we're colleagues with in the last 10 years that have gone from your standard two or $300 paint polish upwards to the thousand, it's been a slow increase upwards throughout right. the year. So there, I think is a good enough hold within this business that those guys are doing it and they're still growing it. There's hundreds of them in the United States, if not maybe over a couple thousand at this point, but there is that competitive side of it right now with these moonlighters and these guys that really won't last, you know, beginning of COVID I saw, uh, we saw so many random detailers pop up in our area going through these, you know, Northern Virginia car uh, clubs, like, Hey, if you need your car polished or this, we'll do it for 150 bucks. And I'm like, yeah. Oh shit, here we go. I was like, everybody's not yeah. working, you know, but guess what? Our business grew in 2020 incredibly. Um, I know a lot of guys did the guys that were running businesses, but guess what happened to all these guys that were doing these bottom barrel jobs. 
crickets. Yeah. I'm going to. Is, do you know, us forum guys, do you remember all the forum guys that used to detail out of their garage on the weekends? You know, Rasky and, and, and people like that. I mean, Brian, you were a full timer, but I mean, you know, I used to detail out of my garage on the weekends. I made a name for myself for that. There's not, there's not any more part time, high end, quality focused detailers anymore. They yeah. all open up their own shop. Yeah. Yeah, they, they progress. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's saying like those are the guys that, you know, like those are the guys that are doing the better work, to be quite honest, because their 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 passion and fuel for fire for it is at is at a max. You know? And uh well, look at Phil. remember Phil from oh, yeah. Man, he was a part timer doing it out of his garage way back. Yeah. yeah. And now look at him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that, you know, Obsessed Garage, you know, and some of the stuff that Mormon has done has been a credit to a lot of DIY guys, you know, um, I never I never try to, de you know, like, I think that he's brought a little bit of balance into the DIY market. So I give him and his YouTube, you know, deal, you know, some uh, some uh, definite props, you know, because I think that he's opened the eyes to some guys who thought that they knew. And then they kind of realized quickly that they didn't. I had I had a friend of mine a couple months back. He he messaged me and said, Brian, I want you to train me, you know, and uh, and you know just just come over here and detail the car with me, you oh. know. And and like after 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 him going through, and I had him hold my hands, you know. I made him hold my hands. I made him you know do a couple of things so that he could feel what's taking place. And how much thought process is going through between a tilt or a motion or a, you know a speed or a whatever? And by the time I by the time we finished detailing the car, he's like, dude, I'd never want to do this. He's but he had already he <laughs> he, he had already dropped the uh, obsessed garage money. You know what I mean? Oh, he'd already yeah yeah he'd already he'd already got you know this that the other loaded up his garage thought it was uh, thought it was a good idea you know and. Um, but Mormon, but Mormon's catering to the DI, you know, the DIY crowd. He's catering to the DIY guys. Not the ones that are doing it for a lift for, for. Yeah. Like those are the guys, those are the guys, in my opinion, that, that, uh, they don't like, they haven't seen it coming yet. You know, like they're really good at it and they just, they just haven't had the opportunity because they probably have another job or another career. But at the end of the day, I think that they have, the skill set, you know what I mean? Or they're developing the skill set, you know, is like, and like those, those are some guys who I would like to see more involved with the detailing because I think that they bring a, you know, definitely a higher level of uh, respect to what we do, yeah. you know, which has been nice to hear. And like I said, like, you know, like I have to kind of give every little spider web off of our industry some you know like there's a place for everything i always tell people that every product has a place on the show yeah um you know and it's you know like in like everything that we've seen on social media develop over the last several years everything has its place and you know for the right person it's going to speak to them you know and uh so th therefore like i said i have to give the mormon credit you know, because he, you know, he has probably brought some of this attention to detail to some of these guys. Uh, I, I remember Matt, Matt, Matt called me, ah, geez, man, but before he was obsessed garage and he asked me if he could shadow me, 
you know and uh i was like i was like what are you talking about dude i was like go down to auto geek and you know they're, they're, they're like, they're, 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 you know mike phillips is gonna run you through the basics and uh and, and and then you just have to roll with that you know um and 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 that's exactly what he did um you know and, but at, at the end of the day like i said you know like he's definitely like and i'm and i'm gonna use him as a i'm gonna use him as a topic here because he's somebody who took it and and made it work you know right. and, and 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 that's the idea is is to take your auto detailing business and make it work we see so many guys who are trying to get started they try to make it work and you know like they keep fighting they keep fighting year after year after year you know and like they don't understand how to make it work i'm going to throw myself a shameless plug if if I get somebody who calls me for Swiss facts and says, hey, you know, like, what can I do to get a banner? I say, well, I'm not going to sell you a banner because it makes no sense because you don't buy the products. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you buy the products, you support the business and I'll sell you a banner. You know, you got to call me out uh, like that, Brian. But, 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 the <laughs> point, but no, but the point is, is that so many people try to jump onto a brand or try to jump onto a product or a service or a niche that we've created as service providers in this industry. We've created it, you know, and, and we've created something that everybody else wants when at the end of the day, dude, you just have to understand the customer and understand your demographic, understand where you're at. And, and, and most importantly, where do you want to be with it in five to 10 years? Like I, I wrote an article on detailed image years ago. That's like, you know, is something about like, you know, detailing in the moment or something. But at, at the end of the day, it was, it was all about, are we just going through a cycle, you know, but do we have an end goal for this? You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you can wash cars till the day you die, yeah. you know, but like, what is your end goal with it? And, uh, you know, I've asked some people up to the point where like, you know, give me, you know, give me, give me your business model, you know, two years from now, where do you want to be? Oh, I want to be doing this. Okay. Where do you want to be in three years? Oh, I want to be doing this. Where do you want to be in five years? Oh, I want to be YouTube, you know, as like, whatever. And, uh, but where do they want to be with it? Like nobody's actually ever been able to, to answer that question. You know what I mean? Like in, in the way that it should be answered correctly. You know, um, because what I've what I've taken from all of the responses I've gotten is, is that they're going to reach a point, you know, and, uh, you know, like they're going to reach a point in their career where 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 the it just stops. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if I subliminally was like writing about myself on detailed image, for example, like I didn't see it coming like I, I never anticipated me shutting my business down but it happened you know okay was i prepared for it no you know what i mean um did i did i anticipate ever being in that situation no never you know what i mean so like we we kind of just jumped the gun and we're like we're like we're like running around like blind mice as auto detailers but it, it's best to just have a plan and and the like the only solution that I've come to with that is is you know grab yourself a handful of customers, you know what I mean? Like if you if you truly love detailing, you know, grab yourself a handful of customers and you do what suits them and what suits you 
and so that everybody in that circle is happy. Now, as long as everybody in that circle is happy, you're making money, they're happy with the results and the solutions, et cetera. You know what I mean? Now we have a, now we have a circle that just provides purpose for people. You know what right. I mean? Um, because if, like, if there's no purpose to what we're doing, then why are we doing, you know? Um, it's, it's like my, like I said, with people contacting me, asking me about, you know, brand brandage, you know, like, 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 how do I get a hold of brands? It's like, well, what is, what is a brand going to do for you? Or, you know, what do you think the brand, you know what I mean? The brand isn't playing the role of your business, you know? So it's, uh, it's very important for, you know, people to understand that, you know, that it's not the brand that's going to take them there. It's not the service. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the language that we speak with, with the, with the, the detailing terminologies and things like that is as much as it is, is, you know, our own self-drive and how we're going to get to where we want to be. Um, I'm, I'm currently working for McLaren and uh, it's, it's not a long-term, it's not a long-term thing. You know, um, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm looking at it as a two year thing and I'm creating opportunities, right. you know, um, if I was to just dive in there and say, yeah, let me be your uh, car wash guy. No, thank you. No, oh, we lost Brian. I think you got a phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bruno. What were you gonna say? I know. It, I know Dude, it was we're like, so far away from what I wanted to say. I know. I, know, I, I, know, I, I felt say. bad that like that, like we so didn't jump far. back over to you, but it so doesn't matter, far, man. We can dude. listen. We can. I know. Rewind. I know. I know. So so it was just a hop on, um, basically what you were talking about with the economy and everything. I mean, John and and Alex both said some stuff I can't even remember right now. It's so far back. But anyways, um, I, I think like even even how the economy is right now, uh, I don't I don't even think it will affect uh, our industry in the future at all. Uh, I know you talked about Alex talked about uh, how much cars are gonna cost how much they cost now compared to yeah. what they might cost 10 years from now, which you know with the rate it's going, it's gonna be, you know, as much as a as a house. You know, just to get a, a Ford Mustang or something, right? But those customers, you know, they could come in all, all they want, but a lot like normal Americans, you know, they're going to buy used cars now, especially, you know, right now, a lot of people are buying used or older cars and those those people want their cars to look good just as almost as the day that they were new. Yeah. So they're going to have those customers come in all the time with used cars that want a paint enhancement or a gloss enhancement, whatever you want to call it, or even may want a paint correction. They want to do PPF on it. They want to do a ceramic coating, whatever have you. Those customers will always be there. So 10 years from now, even though, you know, how our economy is looking, I still think people will still get business. Yes, always. No, I agree. It's, always. you got to diversify your profiles of what you do in your business, right? So it's, it's everything you need to do, right? You'll have, I'm sure you guys have had it where one week you have no coding jobs and it's all paint protection film or one week it's all interior details back in the day and this, right? You have the ability to have multiple skills and assets within your business to float back and forth to what you need to. But I think regardless of the situation in the next couple of years is prices of cars are going to go up. Guess what's going to happen? And if people aren't doing it in their business anyways, on an annual basis, you're 
kind of stupid. <laughs> you have to increase your prices every year. Yeah. Everything always has price increases. Look at what every company has been doing in the last 60 days with the logistical nightmares going on with the container ships. Shipping rates have gone up. Everything's skyrocketed. Look what happened at the beginning of COVID. You know, shit, people are paying how much for toilet paper? You know? Yeah. Prices fluctuate constantly. So this is part of like why I ask this question is like, I, I get that there's what, what I like about this group is there's a diverse, um, background in the detailing industry opinions and i think everybody can mutually agree on things to a point but visiting the past of where we were where it is now it's well how do we fix the problems to move forward right exactly so my my point blank question that i asked the other day had one main component to me and now i will say how do you get rid of the problems in the industry now to progress properly for right this industry is an absolute disaster. You have other businesses coattailing off of our industry, you know, our guys, and you have organizations that are non-functional, absolutely useless, that devalue our industry. So how do we progress now to stabilize that, right? So somebody, I, I forgot who was just mentioning uh, the younger generation. I think it was Brian was kind of talking about some of the younger generation coming up. There's a point too where guys like us have to start looking at these younger guys that are getting into this. How do we shape and mold the future, right? Right. Years ago, you know, I can say this truthfully is like guys like me looked at guys like if Barry Thiel listens to this, I'm gonna say it. It wasn't you, Barry. Um, <laughs> but Barry, I like me and Barry get along great. But you know, you were one of the guys I looked at years ago. Your ability to <clears throat> educate, create information was a resource for me to learn off of. So how does our next generation, Alex, Bruno, Brian, create this information to grow the next generation? But it yeah. has to, I think, progress from where it was 10 years ago and the prior 10 years for that. Because if we want to have a future in this, we have to be able to control what's coming in too, right? And if we don't influence it, we don't control it, it's all going to come back to kick us in our ass. And guess what? We're going to be in 20 years. We're going to be the old guys that are worthless. Yeah. Right. And I still think of everything in a lot of people have heard me. I think of this as 1880s, 1890s, wild, wild west, where you had elixirs, no FDA regulating shit, no organization, every gunslinger coming around, you know, it's great that people are passionate about polishing <clears throat> paint. I take nothing I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? Everything we're in this business for derived from at some point in there. My focus, which encompasses polishing paint, paint protection film, was I became passionate about my business. I, like I told you on the last podcast, I got a lot of crap from people like, well, you don't care about polishing paint. No, I do. But I care about the well-being of, you know, everything else I have to feed, all the mouths I have to feed in my business, everything else. I think in the next it has to be in the next two to three years, some sort of actual real honest goddamn standardization of this industry has to happen. What I think beyond, should, and beyond, I, policy I, I know. Paint, beyond validations of skills, it has to be an actual, like I, I refused in a lot of ways and other guys have seen this. I refuse to call this an actual industry. Technically it is right. It has a lot of backend support, things like that. 
but it lacks so much crap <laughs> compared to other industries out there. And it's what I mentioned to you. You could do a turnkey automotive repair business where you could send technicians to go get their AC certification test. They can go to ICAR trainings and so many different things. There's no resources. Yeah, there are some like Rubez, you know, but a lot of these things, you notice they all disappear year after year. A lot of these training seminars that have happened in the past, guess where they're at right now? None of them exist. You guys kind of touched base on it last time when you were doing the Facebook Live was, Gloss University is heading into a good direction. There's some guys doing some great things. What my fear is, is they're not going to exist in two years. So what happens when those disappear, the information changes, then the next process of education is a little bit skewed from the last one. You have misinformation here. And that's a big problem with their industry is misinformation. What do products do? How do they work? Right. I get people can polish paint. It's let's be real. It's not the hardest thing in the world. It's common sense and patience, but where everybody fails is what they're actually doing, what they're actually using, what's in it, the chemicals. Brian probably will love to touch base on this, the safety of this fucking shit. Yeah. I cuss, I cuss Modessa installers out. If I see them spraying BCO6, without a full respirator and gloves. I'm like, I'm the idiot that smokes cigarettes, so I'm on my deathbed anyways. But like, you know, it's just like the stupidity in this industry. Nobody says anything about it. Nobody's willing to open their mouths. Everybody's afraid of somebody else, you know, kind of they're going to say something. And it's just like, I fear that if it doesn't change, another sector of, like the tent industry is going to dominate what we do because people in this industry are too incapable and incompetent to progress properly. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud as you're saying that is uh, uh, to that point, I, I kind of don't mind teaching pedaling backwards because it's meaning, meaning going back to our roots. You know, like if we went back to our roots and if we said like as as X amount of years goes by, like compare how you washed a car then to how you wash a car now, you know, now if I was to go back and and say, man, how could maybe I'm washing the car incorrectly now because I'm, you know, knowing where I can cut my corners, (laughs) you know what I mean? And that's only through experience. But that's not what we want to teach. What we want to teach is, is, you know, how do we wash the car in the correct way? You know what I mean? So like right. pedaling backwards, you know, I think uh, windows, tires and door jams. It's like, I, I, I love that slogan. Well, it's going back to your fundamental roots. You, know, you, you have to have a cornerstone to what you do. I think that's obviously very important into anything. I think you build a structure, you have to build a higher quality. And I think that's a big part of it. Absolutely, Brian. Um, but the problem I look at is, you know, how how many of you guys have employees? I don't, I had 10. Do you have ambition? Do you have ambitions of Bruno and Alex to have employees? I don't honestly. Really? Oh shit. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. No, listen, (laughs) listen. I mean, you know, come on. I've talked about it enough on the podcast. I'm a little bit older. I, I, I don't need my business to be, you know, what a lot of these other guys are striving for. I've, I've got my business, you know, finally this year, we're going to hit numbers that 
I'm truly comfortable with. And if I don't have okay, any perfect. more growth, you know, that's fine. I, I really don't want to be, you know, I hope in 10 years, um, a, I'm not doing this podcast anymore, and B, I'm not detailing anymore, right? Well, like, dude, you're a one-man wrecking crew anyway, so I mean, you you take on as much work as you need to to, right. to make the money. And the fact that you did better than last year, just being a one-man yeah. crew, that's yeah. fantastic, dude. So, so something I wanna I wanted to kind of mention because you know, John, when you were talking about you know every year you should be scaling your prices and everything like that, and so so we've got two, you know, brands on this podcast with Modesta and Swiss facts, have you guys, because I've seen it already come from other companies. I mean, um, uh, car pro raised, increased their prices, 10%, 10%, whatever. I mean, yeah. if you're going to, if you're yeah. going to really, yeah. if you're really going to cry over 10%, like, come on, you're not charging, you stop doing $200 details. Right. But are you guys starting to, you know, have you guys increased your, pricing because of all this January 1st I'm setting out an email any Modessa guys that listen to this ahead sorry you're going to hear it early I told (laughs) some guys already uh January 1st I am doing a price increase because you know best way I'll explain it uh Enzo product line um shit sorry my dog's getting in my way um Enzo product line we ship it from Bratislava uh Bratislava which is our Enzo facility out there to here we used to do by containers Containers back then to move 11 pallets, which is a small container with $10,000. Right. Do you know what it's at right now as of last Friday? Probably double that or more. (laughs) $90,000. Jeez. It's actually cheaper for me to put it on Lufania Air and ship it by air, which is absolutely crazy. But, you know, we only only do air freight with Mm -hmm. Swiss Facts. Swiss Facts is 100% air freight. Well, so like Modesta, we do everything air freight because it's a hazardous good, and FedEx is the only one that can transport it with uh, filling out uh, TASCA forms, things like that. Um, but like Enzo, when I'm moving 11 to 12 pallets of products into the state, cargo planes back in the day were a little bit of a problem because booking that much room on a cargo plane was expensive. It's $30,000. Um, but now when you look at $90,000, 30,000 looks great and price increases have to happen. I'm going to throw this out there. You need to figure out a way to Pablo Escobar that shit. Here, the manufacturer here. We are going to look at that. Boston George who did the best one. So don't even bring Pablo into this. Oh, whatever. It's something we're going to look at eventually as we grow the brand more. Um, like I told you on the last last podcast and the last two years since we've launched. And so, you know, we spent four or five years developing it, blending it, getting everything right. I've spent the last two years not growing the brand worth of shit. Because <laughs> I, lo- I launched it on the day I went to a plane to Japan when COVID hit there. So right, I, I just right. didn't do it the right way. Uh, so, yeah, Dave, we are going to look at eventually expanding into production here to stabilize North and South American market. Um but also to reduce the cost, the problem is our chemicals are sourced from all over the world. We actually get some stuff from the U.S., we get some stuff from Europe, and some stuff from Japan. So moving regardless, either end, I have to deal with expensive uh, shipping at some point. But um, right. I know price increases are happening on all ends for us. Yeah, um, it's a, it's it, it on- has to. Well, think about this. I mean, so tell me if this is right or wrong. Ceramic coatings 
are only made by a few or, you know, manufactured by a few companies out there, correct? Yep. Okay. Why can't one more be added, but be in the U S because of the raw chemicals. Yeah. Why they can't ship them here. Well, they could, there's, it's, we don't have the chemist here. Like put it this way, right. For Modessa, we have Tomo, who's our chemist. He went to college for it. He's got his degrees in it. We don't have somebody here or I don't have a staffing trained here for to do that. I, I would love to do that eventually, but, um, the, the nice thing is FedEx hasn't got expensive to ship things, so that hasn't really done much damage to us. And well, look actually, at all the companies we... you could sell to if you were one more manufacturer in the U.S. that wouldn't have to ship, you know, get it from overseas. Yeah, it, it, it's a possibility, but what it takes is a lot more capital to get to that point too, which is something I've been slowly working at. Right? It it, it takes a lot of money to make more money. Um, the problem is, too, I have to look outside of my demographic of where I live in Northern Virginia, which I'm probably the top four uh, most expensive counties in the United States. Real estate here is all bought up by um, data companies. So where I live in Loudoun County, it's the richest county in the United States, and 80% of the commercial real estate is owned by data companies and data mining companies because there's more unused black optics, I think it is, than anywhere else in the world. So our real estate is impossible to find anything here. So it would require me to relocate to facilitate those things eventually. Yeah, Nebraska. So, <laughs> no, God, no, 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 no. I was just out in Des Moines, Iowa. Arkansas. I don't want to go back. <laughs> we're, we're going further down the list here. Let's not do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is an option in our future. There were some discussions we've had with the uh, higher ups at Modessa about like future, what we want to do. It is a possibility. Um, the problem we have is the fact that we do manufacture ourselves. We're such a small company, right? So we're only capable of so much right now that we haven't even been able to scale ourselves to go bigger and do bigger things. Um, the ambition's definitely there and it might present itself here in the near future because of what's happening with the silica silicone shortage in the United States and globally right now. So it is a possibility. Um, I don't think it'll be there honestly for us for another five, 10 years at minimum. So, Interesting. but it, it, it'd be, it, it's something to think about. And it's something that honestly, when you kind of pop that question up, light discussions have happened with a few of us in the past about it, but um, I haven't put much thought in consideration. So it's, it's something worth to think about. It's a really good question. Right. Well, do you see like the whole premise behind this this conversation? Do you see coatings being manufactured in the U.S. ten years from now? I sure hope so. I would hope so, but I think with the cost of production in the United States right now, no. Listen, it over, but how about shipping? When you when you consider the shipping costs that you, you're saving, it's still cheaper to produce overseas. There's there's but a reason. The convenience. Yeah, but there's a reason why all these manufacturers are leaving the country to go build their cars and things everywhere else now that, you know, old MAGA is not in the office. It's cheaper. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a possibility that it will happen in the next couple of years. It's going to have to for even the auto industry to stabilize. Some of their production is going to have to come back here, um, especially with this new uh, logistics nightmare happening on the uh, West Coast coming from China and Asian countries, I, I think it's something that's going to have to progress. Um, I, there are some 
coating manufacturers, not in the automotive industry within the United States, but I don't think it's a big enough scale to impact things yet. You know, I know there's one up in Maryland. They do stuff for computer boards, stuff like that. I've actually talked to that company years ago, just kind of see, you know, learn a little bit more about their technology and stuff. I know there's a big uh, manufacturer outside of Chicago, Illinois, if I remember correctly, that does a lot of stuff with silica-based products. Um, oh, Silicone-based products. You're talking about ECB? It might have been. I, I, I looked it up years and years ago, just kind of, I, I dig myself into little stupid rabbit holes to kind of learn about like what's actually going on in the industry where back ends are and stuff like that. And there was one oh, right oh, outside of Chicago. Okay. Like these companies that are, that are manufacturing coatings in America, like for example, that ECP company, um, or even, and, and I'm, I'm guessing here cause I'm out of the loop with Tunch 3d. He's a manufacturer. I'm assuming he's making his own coating. Um, why can't they scale larger? I, I think I they're know. getting all the raw. They're getting all the raw supplies from overseas still. Yeah, and, and there's they're limited with that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because there, there's you got to think about when you talk about like certain products that we use, and you go into certain products. Even like when you did your stuff with HD, a lot of those products contain rare materials, rare metals, things like that that can only be sourced at certain parts of the world. So shipping and logistics and you know, the globalization of things is always going to be intertwined in the industry, I think, right? Because we have an abundance of natural resources, right? U.S. is a big one. I touched base on it last time. Uh, coal. Coal is one of our biggest, you know, productions we have in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky. It's a big thing. Coal is used to produce hundreds and thousands of products out there. Most people don't realize that, right? So when our administrations years ago was talking about trying to cut down coal production, you don't realize if you any of you are sitting on your phone and you go Google the coal tree, you can see how many products actually come out of the production of coal and the byproducts of it. It's no difference than you know what uh, Rockefeller did 100 years ago when the automotive industry came by and electricity came in and he had to look at a replacement for kerosene because, well, guess what? Nobody was burning kerosene in their house anymore. So they started using the byproduct of that and gasoline was there for combustion engines. Um, Coal is the same thing, but it has thousands of other purposes. So that's one raw material we have that's an abundant and it's good, but there's other raw materials we don't have. You know, you talk about, um, you know, lithium batteries for electric cars. You know, do you think Americans are going to want to mine that stuff in the United States? Look at the impact it's having in China. You know, being yeah. typical Americans, I'm not saying this a bad way. We're going to look at another country. Oh, yeah, go ahead and fuck your people up. You know, right. mine the stuff for lithium batteries out there. So there's a there's always I think going to be the logistics in play. It's just thing, the what scale and what production you can create. Right. And the other thing I think is just the cost. I mean, we know right off the bat it's you know it costs more to make things in America. I mean, prime example is my my guitar I bought off of Amazon. It, you know, this is made in Indonesia, six hundred ninety nine dollars. The American-made version of this is like twenty-five hundred dollars. What's use, quality difference? I mean, pickups pickups are a little but, bit better. But, but that's a good thing well, to actually touch base on. Is right what Dave said right there, and I'll say this coming from a multi-ethnic background. You have to go back through history, right? So this is kind of this whole subject of like where we're going to be, where we were. Right. When people talk about made in, right? 
it's a perception. It's a marketing tool. If you look after World War II, when Japan was in uh, going into black markets and it was in disarray and we were still kind of controlling it with um, a supreme leader like MacArthur was, uh, made in Japan back then was poor quality, bad quality, horrible right. products, right? What do we all think about now when you hear made in Japan? It's awesome. Good products. Right. Yeah. It's marketing. It was a marketing deploy created right. to brand it better, right? So in my honest goddamn opinion is I don't think the quality of where things – now, every country has piss poor quality on certain things. You could buy made in American products, and they could be garbage, right? I bought right. stuff that's made here, and I feel like it's cheap, right? But you have high-end quality. It's no different than looking at a high-quality detailer and a low-quality detailer, right? Right, but if you're taking a if you're taking a product like what Dave's saying, a ceramic, right? Let's let's say let's say whatever manufacturer is manufacturing it in in Asia, you know, pulling the raw good the raw materials from wherever, and you you put a a, a a manufacturer here in the U.S. that's pulling the same raw materials. Does your hundred dollar Asian Chinese, you know, bottle of ceramic now become a $200 bottle because it's made in America and we, we pay more, we have higher standards. It's, it's going to be the same product. It's, you know, you're, you're not necessarily, you, you have to look at it the other end. When you talk about what's in the composition of products, right? So I'll try to relate to it as best as maybe Dave will understand this and Brian, and you guys should. So when you look at polishes in different braces, you have, let's go into what I can relate to in coatings. So a lot of coatings have titanium dioxide in it, right? Right. Titanium oxide doesn't change anything coated, but it's an additive that can help with gloss enhancements of the products. It can change a little bit of the behaviors, the solvents in it, but titanium dioxide can be bought in different grams and qualities of it, right? So let's talk about most manufacturers, and this is not the scale or the price point, but say... 10 coating companies I know have titanium dioxide in their coatings, right? What they're paying for a gram of it is probably $5. What it's in other coatings is about $50. So the quality of the products is a big factor too. So just because you manufacture things here, you still have to source the expense of it if you want a quality product. It's no difference than people, and I'll throw some damn companies under the bus, you know, Rubis machines, right? That are high, you know, higher quality, let's put it that way. Um, compared to some of the knockoff, like Max Shine crap that's been pushed out, right? right? Higher quality electrical components, better brushes maybe, I might be wrong on this, but at least that's my perception. Better quality backing plates, higher grade bolts in it, it costs more money. You're never gonna change the price of what those high quality products cost. Right, but what I'm, but what I'm trying to say is, is if you have two plants, right, that can manufacture a coating, they're both so let's let's say let's say for instance, like what you're saying, Modesta Modesta does a plant here or, or finds a, a a place here that can do that can make Modesta coating so that you're not having to pay the shipping and all that stuff, right? So it's going to be the same raw materials, the same percentages, the same everything. But now does your price become more because it's an American-made product? We pay Americans higher than the the people in Asian Asian countries are are making to do these things, you know. I mean, it's it's why Nike doesn't make tennis shoes here, right? Because they can pay twenty five cents a, an hour for yeah. somebody to make tennis shoes over there. It's going to cost them ten to twelve dollars an hour plus because of 
you know, you have to, you have to put on, you know, insurance and unemployment and all this other stuff that really your 10 to $12 hour employee really becomes a 15 to $20 an hour employee. I think it would in cost, it would increase the overall cost of the product moving here significantly because at that point, regardless, the raw material still is going to have to come from Japan where it's sourced, what we buy raw materials there to mix them. They're going to have to be shipped in bigger quantities here to be blended now. So we have to double up our equipment. You have to talk about expansion, growth, facility, rent, what we you kind of touch base on. And then I have to look at moving bigger containers of hazardous material, which requires right. more specific license, different class A. You know, it, it's a commodity product that I have to have X amount of insurance bond on and coverage to move that product. Okay. So, so let me, it, it does increase the cost. Right. Let me ask you this. And, and I know we're not 10 years in the future on these last little topics, but whatever, it's my podcast. Um, <laughs> let me, let me ask you this. So, so you're, so you mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of these companies, coding companies, whatever, um, there are some raw materials they're pulling from the U S so is it just as expensive for them to pull that raw material and have it shipped to the U.S. as it would be for you to pull it from Asia to over here? Or is it maybe not a raw material that is as higher hazardous, requires as much, you know, insurance paperwork and all that stuff? It's not for, as for much instance, needed. And, and so we pull one product that's manufactured by Bassis. I always say it wrong. They do paint. I've always pronounced it wrong because I'm dyslexic and retarded. Um, we pull one product out from the U.S. from there. The problem is a lot of chemical manufacturers manufacture products differently, right? So if you go to PTFE, you know you know what PTFE is, right? Yeah. So Teflon. Teflon is just the brand name, but PTFE is manufactured differently through different companies. And you get different quality of those products of PTF from DuPont versus 3M versus Eastman Chemicals, right? right? So you take a risk of having to redevelop products also if you switch to a different chemical supplier because their grading system, their refinery systems can be completely different. So if you go down to like uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, uh, that's where Eastman Chemicals is. You go to their refinery plant or you go out to Ohio to DuPont's, one of their refinery plants. Their process of refineries are all universally the same based upon federal laws, but the way they refine their materials could be different. So you get a, a different kind of grade of product that could impact the overall product. So you take a risk of botching hundreds and thousands of dollars of products if gotcha. you stick to, say, this formulation and that, right? Tweaks can happen, things can happen. We've seen it with coatings where maybe they go to a different chemical manufacturer or different blender, which is more or less the case, and they change things, right? There's solvent changes. You know, we've seen it with companies go to a fast fat flash to a slow flash product, and they've maybe changed a blender they've used, and it changes the overall whole installation of the product and the way it reacts. So you tend to deal with bigger quality control issues at that point, which as we've seen in our industry with how particular people are can have a big negative kickback against you and your brand reputation. So that there's a lot of high risk going into that. There has to be a lot more thought out meticulous thought process of how to proceed with that. You know? So for us, regardless, if we were to do something in the States, we're still going to have to get the exact same chemicals from Japan. It's just the final product would be here, which would make it more readily available 
which would only make sense if we were to scale up and grow. Gotcha. Okay. Now on other companies' ends, for other companies out there, it might make sense, 100%, right? There's a couple of companies I won't say, but I, I think it might make sense for the amount of volume they're pushing to have that production in North America because, well, guess what? North America is their strongest market. Right. Like the so, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they did the same thing. They, they moved their production out here and assembly out here, repairs that were great for them. Um, and it became a good backend support for one of their biggest markets here, right? There are other coding companies that probably would benefit better than us to have production out here. Right. Um, you know, or just be the rest of the industry and just have B&B do your shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so Bruno, it's 10 mm-hmm. years in the future. We've traded in the DeLorean for a Cybertruck time machine. I think it's time we go back to 21. Bedtime's coming up. <laughs> and, um, we're, and we're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. We're pushing, we're pushing two hours and, and I, I vowed to never go over two hours again um listen i I think i I appreciate you guys coming on because i think everybody's had some some great points um as far as where this industry could be in the future where maybe it should be in the future um i think what it all boils down to we we all know this and i think everybody's just afraid to say it is just structure there's just no structure and until we get structure it's going to be hard um, to really, to really do anything big in this industry. Um, uh, the other thing I took away from this is it really doesn't matter a whole lot about where the industry kind of is going to be in 10 years. It's where our customers are going to sit. Cause the one thing that I noticed that all of you guys mentioned is customer service, what the customer wants, how the customer is going to take care of the vehicle. And so it's really going to be dependent on, what i mean haley's 12 in 10 years she'll be 22 how is she going to maintain her car or take care of her car um because unless she's booking an appointment daddy ain't doing it um <laughs> she, she better she better have a part-time job so she can go she can go pay for it um uh so, so that that's kind of my takeaway from it. Um, Bruno, you got any closing thoughts? Or we yeah, hop in the cyber truck? Yeah. <laughs> All I right. I got one last thing to say. Yes, sir. Just natural evolution. As detailers, in ten years from now, we need to think about how to get things done faster, better and more profitable. So if we can come up with products that can correct scratches faster, do things in one step, um, cut time down for us, those are the things that are, gonna, that are gonna advance our industry. You know, the answer I've been looking for the whole evening was right there. Yeah. The efficiency of this industry, the structure is important, but the efficiency of what we teach and how we teach it, how it's done, yeah. Dave's, Dave's got it perfect, man. It's it's getting over this ego of just because you can spend 50 hours on a car doesn't mean you need to. I'll tell you how, how we, we make deliver it, result. I'll tell you how we make it super efficient. We just and and I know there there's some variations I think out there they're working on it. Is uh, you just come up with a uh, 
liquid uh, PPF that you could put on like coating, but becomes yeah. P- but but, yeah. but becomes PPF, and you have the car come in, and you just lay down a uh, layer of liquid PPF, and boom, you're done. Charge a bunch of money. What do you mean? I think they just need to you know, refine it, right? Right. Yeah, I've seen some <laughs> things that are like that. That that you know, you put them yeah, on and they kind of stuff? yeah. Yeah. Why don't you get some drive-through, uh, drive-through cellophane or bubble wrap? You know, and just drive right through it. You know? yeah. <laughs> just a big, just a big wall of saran wrap. You just plow right through. Yeah, exactly. Wrap. Exactly. Go. Keep yeah. going. All right, guys. Yeah. I I appreciate you all coming on. This was fun. Um, awesome. uh, <laughs> it, John, thanks for the topic. Um, you know that, that it made my job easy to not have to think of a topic for this week. Um, so I appreciate that. It's not like I don't have a page full of them or anything. Yeah, and I so, so do I. But, but still, that was a good that was a good one. Not to it say that we don't have was. not that we don't have good ones. Because we were just going to dive into that last week too. But then you're like, no, nah, we need to save yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah, that, that was, was good. If you want if you want some good topics, I'll send you a list of them. Hey, look, um, Detail Solutions podcast discussion page is a perfect place. <laughs> no, 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 no. There, there are some. This is oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, it gets yeah, that's, at this yeah point. you you could send me some of those, and I'll let you know if I feel uh ballsy enough to put that show on air. Uh, I'll, take all the I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, gentlemen. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Yeah, you all guys, right, you guys all have a great night. I'll talk to you later. Good night, boys. Right. Bye. Later.